This episode of That Song from That Movie is coming up after this. <coughs> hear ye, hear ye, the dishonourable widow Abigail will now speak. Attention all weirdos, losers, rednecks, white trash, aliens, outcasts, outliers, sluts, whores, gangsters, thugs, poors, and anyone else who the world and society don't care about. I have a podcast for you. Come join me at the Manic Pixie Weirdo where we talk about all the different kinds of relationships we have in our lives. From movies to math and suicide hotlines to sex. Join us every Saturday for a new episode featuring yours truly and other smarter folk. We need you and we want you with us. So come join us at the Manic Pixie Weirdo, where we accept, respect, and value you. Listen on Apple, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh yeah, be kind and stay weird. Come on guys, what is the first rule of this podcast? Okay, yeah, respect the brackets, but what is the second rule of this podcast? Exactly, never stop talking about that song from that movie. Hot fudge. On a <laughs> Sunday? Sunday is actually what I was looking for, yeah. Well done. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, The Journey Through the Very Best and Worst of Movie Songs. I am your sticking feathers on my butt, host Dietrich. And today we're joined by Come Break Him Down. Bury him, bury him, Alex. Yep. Big, big 30 seconds to Mars fan over here. Is that, is, that, yeah. is that why you chose that? Oh, yeah, yeah. The Jared Letter connection, yeah. Are you still. Yeah. Um, no, I haven't listened to it in a while. I did, what was the last album I had? Ooh, the one after This Is War, which I can't remember the name of. That was the last one I listened to. So a while ago. Oh, we're talking a while ago. We're talking like 2014 or something. <laughs> so, yes. And we're also joined by, when you touch him like this, and you hold him like that, it's so hard to believe, but it's all coming back to him. Ben. <laughs> Bitch tits and all. Beautiful. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I'd prefer to be Meatloaf. Although, actually, would I prefer? I'd probably prefer to be Jared Leto, wouldn't I? I was going to yeah. say you'd rather be Meatloaf than Jared Leto. <laughs> no, said no one ever. <laughs> I would rather have Meatloaf's voice. Are you sure about that? Yeah. Are you sure about that? Ben? No, I'm not. I'm really not. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll, get, we'll get rid of that now. Okay. What have we been watching this week? I have watched a. I did watch a film last week. Proper film. It, it, yeah, it was my my week to look after my son. So as usual, I <laughs> was watching uh, Studio Ghibli films, and um, the one I watched this week was uh, When Marnie Was There. I think it was called. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Which I really enjoyed. Actually, I think it's probably one of the in personal preferences. Probably one of the best ones. I think it it lacked kind of like that sort of like magic weirdness that maybe some of the other ones had, like Howl's Moving Castle and stuff, but. I thought it was yes. nice. I thought it was nice. I, I think that's because it's um well, it's not um what's his face Hayao Miyazaki. Oh, is it not? It's yeah. no. It's what's uh mm-hmm. Hiromasa Yonobayashi, who is one of the newer ones. So yeah, I think all the mis- the mystical magical ones are usually Miyazaki, and most of the newer ones because he is very very old, <laughs> and not him. Well, it doesn't exist in the studio anymore, I suppose. Yeah, still based on an English novel though. <laughs> Weird. Yeah, yeah, Which and they, they do they like that. I mean, there's a lot of Welsh inspiration in a lot of their films. I went to the cinema, which I am very happy about. What? I know. What did you think of Fast and Furious Nine? I did not see Fast and Furious Nine. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it there, filling up most of the screenings. Either that or what's his face, Black Widow. 
Now, I saw another round, the Thomas Vinterberg film. Any ideas what I'm on about? No idea. Okay. It's got Mads Mikkelsen in it? Yes, yes. No, I saw a review for this. Is it like a yeah. thing where like uh, middle-aged men like go out for like one last sort of like crazy night out or something? Well, they, they it's like they try and see what it'd be like if they just uh, lived their life where they're just always inebriated. Right, right. <laughs> so they kind of just hit a level of just intoxication and try and hold that to see if it improves their life. Uh, it's a very, very, very good film. Yeah, uh, and so I would rec- recommend yeah. if you can, you know, stomach words coming up on your screen, <laughs> uh, climbing over that little, what is it, what is it? Uh, one inch barrier. One, yeah, there's the one inch wall, <laughs> Bong Joon-ho called it. Yeah, it's very good. Whilst I have finally given Arrested Development a proper go. God, I haven't watched that since about 10 years. I'm currently in the midst of season four and it has gone off a cliff. I can't remember what the like, it had a big it had a big gap, didn't it? And I then it believe it's back. the first Netflix one. Oh, yeah, I didn't even bother with those ones. No, I never made it that far. It's it's okay. I think the show is okay, but there's not much to watch on TV at the moment other than football. <laughs> so uh, I've got to find something to fill those gaps. It's weird that by the time this come out, we'll know if it's come home or not. Uh, yeah, this is really you've really dated it there. <laughs> obviously, it did come home. Obviously, can't believe we won ten nil. <laughs> All own goals as well. You would have thought it. <laughs> so today's episode breaks the rules as we talk about Where Is My Mind by the Pixies from the movie Fight Club. So, Ben? Time for some history. <laughs> I love it every time. So, let's go back to November 1999. So, we have Y2K just around the corner, and with it, a new millennia filled with catastrophic pandemics, celebrity politicians and social media websites rewiring the brains of our youth, just like the Jetsons predicted. Don't remember those episodes, but uh, it's been a long time since I watched the cartoon. Anyway, in other news, <laughs> Toka Bifter and partaking some Sticky Icky, because Dr. Dre's confusingly titled album 2001 was released by Aftermath Records. <laughs> <laughs> also known as The Chronic 2001, becoming six times certified platinum and one of the best-selling albums of the year. Alex, did you partake in this as a eight-year-old? <laughs> I'm sure the album's probably in the house somewhere, but um, it probably was. It was not owned by me. <laughs> I remember your uh, yeah your uh, cannabis leaf T-shirt in primary school. Do you? I don't remember no. having a cannabis. Don't quite remember that. The Chicago Tribune at the time said that the album sounded fragrantly trite with its endless gangster babble. Indubitably, Chicago Tribune. Indubitably. <laughs> Apparently not a lot of people liked that album, because they, I don't know, I was trying to read the reviews and it didn't do too well with, I guess, the, the people that usually review music. But the people um, that count, the punters, it, yes. it, it obviously worked for them. Six I times guess. platinum, did you say? Yeah. Yes, so I don't know how many that is, I don't know how that works in a lot sales. Okay, yep, there we go. Did you find out what the opinion of the New York Times was? Uh, they actually quite liked it. <laughs> There's a surprise. <laughs> And also, November 1999 was a great time to be a child at the cinema. Toy Story 2 dropped. Nice. The Pokemon movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back, came mm. out. Yeah. Scooby-Doo nice. and the Witch's Ghost. Do you remember that one? Uh, no, I don't. Nope. Go and listen to the song by the Witches. Brilliant. And I'm pretty sure my dad fell asleep at two out of three of those films. <laughs> and I didn't even force him to see Mary-Kate and Ashley's Passport to Paris. So he's lucky there. <laughs> I thought you meant like he, he wanted to go to that one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he or he went to it without you. <laughs> he went to it without me. <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? I've always wondered why it was uh, the Blu-ray edition was proudly sat upon our mantle. 
Um, but for the grown-ups, they could also peruse in a healthy selection of The World Is Not Enough, Sleepy Hollow, and David Fincher's modern classic, Fight Club, So, which is the subject for today. Uh, for those unaware, Fight Club is based on the book by Chuck Polinick, tells the story of a nameless man in the midst of insomnia and existentialism, who alongside a soap salesman and alpha male hero, Tyler Durden, they form something we're not supposed to talk about. Well, oh wait, did you already said it, didn't you? Oh, Sorry. Oh, okay. Well, we're broken two rules. There's only one rule. Oh. It's two rules. <laughs> two rules the same thing. There are quite a lot of rules though, aren't there? Because one of them is like if it's your first night you have to fight. There's like five or six rules. There's eight rules. Eight rules, okay. Does it know this, Alex, if you came to our Saturday meeting? He <laughs> <laughs> missed the punch and pie. Yeah, had a bunch of pie. So yeah, that synopsis is a drastic oversimplification of this film. A lot of twist and turning narrative, overlaid, underlaid messages, metaphors sandwiched inside this film. Before I even touch upon any of that, what do we think of this one? Assuming we've all seen it. Uh, yes, I, I have seen it. And uh, uh, to me, this is the archetypal, very good, not great movie. But before Ben jumps in, because I know <laughs> I can feel him like down the wire, I can feel it. <laughs> Allow me to explain. So I only saw this movie for the first time maybe a couple of years ago. Okay. It was one of those films where I was talking about it with my wife and she went, you've never seen Fight Club. So I was then made to watch it. So I already knew all the main plot points mm-hmm. and uh, assuming we are talking about it, yes, the, the reveal of uh, characters. Can I just say it? Yep. Spoiler alert. Yep. Brad Pitt's imaginary. <gasps> just a, a, the actual real Brad Pitt is a figment of uh, Hollywood. <laughs> Brad Pitt is imaginary. <laughs> we all believed in him together. And then it came true. <laughs> what, like, like it or the Candyman? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the movie, it, it just didn't quite hit with me because I was already expecting all of these sort of major plot points. Mm-hmm. Like I say, it's, very, it's still very good. It's still quite compelling. But it's what stops you from saying great is that I wasn't able to experience the movie in its fullest. I imagine there's quite a lot of people in the same camp as me. People that have, oh God, this is sad to say, people born after the movie who are now adults. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, that is awful. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I assume there's quite a few people that think the same way. But uh, yeah, it's very good. I, I, I kind of have a sort of a similar response to it to you, Dee, because I did also see it later than probably most people. I mean, I think, first of all, I feel like this film is, like, truly one for, like, the hipsters. It's a bit of a posery film. Not that, and, I, and I want to preface this by saying, also, I did it, that the film is good, and I do like this film. And I think the first time I watched it, I did really get, like, why everyone loved it so much. But I think it, it is the kind of film that people say is like their favourite film on, like, dating app bios and stuff. To solve, <laughs> just because they think it makes them sound... Deep, do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's that kind of thing, 100%. like like people who said they've read Atlas Shrugged by Anne Rind. It's like, has anyone actually read that book? Because it's like ten thousand pages long. But anyway, side issue. <laughs> My favorite book is War and Peace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just stuff like that, and it's just like, mm, sure. But I do say this like a little bit knowingly because I think like, I was kind of th- that way at university, especially like you kind of latch onto things that sort of seem to be making a significant philosophical, social, political statement or something to compensate for, like, a lack of personality. Like, we've all done it. We've all oh done God, it. You, I feel really targeted now. <laughs> what do you think this whole podcast we've all is? Done it. That's the, that is as, I, as I'm wearing my Fight Club t-shirt. <laughs> yeah. But, like, I don't mean to, like, put fun of people for that, because I do think that the film... It's kind of... It's, it's funny, because the film is making those kind of points, as does the book. 
but everyone sort of but it's kind of obvious do you know what i mean it's not like it's hidden within it it's like really clearly and openly making these points and people sort of think it's like the deepest film of all time because it's got layers you know onions <laughs> shrek shrek has layers. <laughs> um but yeah i've only seen I, I think i've actually only seen this film once all the way through and it was because we were studying because <laughs> this is our organ we were studying nietzsche uh, literary critical theory at uni and like this film came up because like it's sort of yeah. like a modern retelling of sort of like an ubermensch story yeah. like this spoke Zarathustra, or whatever it's called yeah and I, I did watch it and think yeah yeah you know this film is making it's saying a lot about like dissociative society and consumerism and 30 somethings and generation x etc but it's kind of like i've never watched it again so I think to me, that sort of <laughs> says it all. It's not the kind of film that afterwards you're thinking about it a lot. I think it sort of like you take everything in almost. That's kind of how I took it. Like I didn't feel like there was so much depth to it that I had to watch it several times. To be like, oh, yeah, yeah. True. And, I, and maybe there is, but I, I didn't feel that way when I watched it. I didn't. If you're thinking about it, like when you're going to sleep for like weeks afterwards, that's kind of a film that's really affecting, and I just don't put that this film in that bracket, although I know some people possibly would. What films have affected you in that way? Oh, God. I don't know if I can think of any of them there. You put Shrek. them on the spot here. Shrek. In Time. In Time. That's one for me. Yeah, yeah well, it's... I... Wait, they're just in Tim Blake film? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it tests me, and I must destroy it. <laughs> I, don't, I can't think of any recent examples, to be honest, but... No, I think I, I, com- I completely get you. Yeah, the, you know, you, you know, you know the kind of thing that I'm saying, like where you'll you'll yeah, watch film and you'll be like, oh, that kind of I, I've been thinking about it nonstop yes. for like weeks. Yeah. And actually, like I watched, I don't know if you guys have seen like the Bo Burnham Inside special, but uh, yeah, literally, I have, I've been yeah. think it's been in my head for like not just the songs because the songs are amazing, but kind of a lot of the messages. And you okay. know, there's sort of some crossover with this film in some ways, but I think that's kind of, that kind of did really affect me. Maybe it's just kind yeah. of when you watch it, like the kind of age you are, like what you're kind of thinking about at the time and whether those messages are like aligned. And I think that maybe for some people, this film probably was aligned to the way they were thinking at the time. They maybe I watched it too young or too early. I don't know. Or too too late. It one way or the other, I can't quite think. It's like when I read Catcher in the Rye, I had a very similar experience that loads of people. Yeah, I kind of read it too late, so it didn't have the impact yes, that it has yeah. on people. And I think a lot of people experience that with films. And I think that's kind of what you were saying, Dee, as well. That like maybe you just watched it out of time. Yeah. I don't know. Do you still think it's a very good film? And I do. I do like David Fincher films generally. Anyway. Oh yeah. If you're expecting a film impact you in a certain way, I think there's almost an element of you that is very aware of that yeah. and trying to fight it in some ways. You basically don't want to just fall into that. Or I'm basically just like everyone else, and I fall into that trap. You want to enjoy it, obviously, but you. I feel like you're very aware of what the film's trying to do. Whereas those films that I feel I've had that impact with. Like you say, Alex, where I'm thinking about it for weeks, so I feel like it's it's impacted me to change something. Our films I didn't expect to do that, or I wasn't really knowing what I was going in to see. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's the stuff that you don't yeah. expect to impact you that impacts yes. you more, almost. Yeah, Catches you off guard. Yeah. 100%. I mean, the same as you guys. I like this film. I don't love it. I preferred it the second time round, in a similar way to Alex was saying, I guess as I have read stuff as I've gotten older in like sociology or psychology or, or Nietzsche, uh, Nietzsche I've kind of seen that stuff in a film and I found that more interesting whereas watching it as a 17 year old where I just kind of liked it on a surface level and in, interesting this film wasn't very loved critically it has 79% on Rotten Tomatoes and it has a 66 out of 100 on Metacritic that's not great 
That's much lower than I was expecting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, like its IMDb rating is quite high, isn't it? It's like eight it's tenth highest of all films in IMDb's two hundred fifty greatest of all time. <laughs> wow, what a shift! Exactly, I know. So clearly, the public latched onto this film in a certain way, much like Doctor Dre's album Chronic. <laughs> 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 the, the links, the links. I'm there for him. Like I said, I think as an 18, 19 year old when I saw this. I was looking for a cool film that looked cool, and people might find me cool if I said this film was cool. Mm-hmm. Cool. Um, I think that does beg the question, though: who had the poster on the wall? I, you know what? I had. I, I remember going to a lot of. I think around our time, and I think because again, I think if you were an undergrad, college grad at this time, you would have probably had this poster. Whereas I think for us, I knew a lot of people at my university who had a poster of the Joker. Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> and I think in a way, Tyler Durden and the, uh, you know and what is taken of the Joker are quite similar. Definitely. It's those like anarchistic going against the mold, yeah. fighting against consumerism. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because yeah, like people sort of hold Durden and Joker's like neo truths, like to, something to live by. But I think it's funny because when you watch the film, it does debunk that idea, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the that's the hilarious part of it. It's ironic that so many people, and I think it's quite funny because you'll see Tyler Durden in so many movie lists as like one of the greatest characters of all time, and people love him because of those quotes. Yet he basically develops like a fascist sort of society. Yeah, he goes too far. On yeah. The, yeah, he goes too far, and he's just he develops exactly the same of what their consumerist society was before just within yeah. his mold and i guess that's the thing it's you know fascism and capitalism are just two sides of the same coin but people just love tyler durden <laughs> because he's cool and suave and he has these you know lines and he's always got something to say and he says it so eloquently and well put and you know he's, he's brad pitt he's attractive he's obviously in this film ripped <laughs> the shit. he is so hot in this movie yeah and i think <laughs> like i say men love to want to be him kind of like alpha male he's like the joe rogan society these people like they really love this film and love it for that side of things i guess what he's trying to say about masculinity i think chuck polinick said that there's only two films that kind of give a social model for men that there's a lot of films about how women should behave kind of in, in a group society but a, he said there's only two films that do it for men one's fight club and the other's dead poet society <laughs> now I see what he's saying, and I try to have a think, and I guess it's very pigeonholing men. (laughs) And I think this film, I think, does that in a way of the classic sort of male archetype. But I see what he's getting at, and clearly it did resonate with a lot of people at the time, and probably still does. Um, But yeah, I find it funny that people seem to like it because it's deep, but don't actually understand the actual depth in how they like it. And it's quite ironic in sometimes that they just, you know, they think it's cool as a fight club and Tyler... Um, and all the things he's doing, yeah, fight the system when actually he's just developing his own system. <laughs> and let's leave the sort of sociology of Nietzsche and all yeah. that stuff because that could go on for <laughs> days. Could go forever, couldn't it? You could analyse this film for a long time in that, oh, yeah. that sociology from that movie. Yeah, go just go on YouTube, you'll find about a million videos looking at different other things. Today's episode is brought to you by Omeo. Omeo is a travel booking platform that makes planning a journey in Europe and North America effortless. Just enter your travel details and Omeo will magically give you all the train, bus, flight or ferry options for your journey. It's never been simpler to book your first real vacation for 2021. Best of all, using Omeo saves you time and money, so that's a win-win in our books. Omeo wants to help you leave the house this summer by offering 5% off your next booking. Just head to omeo.com and use the code LISTENER5 at checkout. It's valid until the 30th of June for new users on all modes of transport. It's just the pick-me-up that 2021 needs. Omeo. Plan, book, and love the journey. Terms and conditions apply.
Well, some quick facts. Go for it. Yes. There's a Starbucks coffee cup in every scene. Interesting. <laughs> Is there? Apparently so. <laughs> David Fincher said there's a nod. That's, that's like, I guess, the nod to consumerism again. Is that, so, so it wasn't like in Game of Thrones where there was just like... No, it's not an accident. <laughs> <laughs> someone keeps leaving. Rosie O'Donnell, someone I always know but not know what for, hmm. famously went on her TV show a week before the film was released and said that she'd seen a screening of it and she didn't like it. So on her show, she told everyone the ending and said, don't go. A week before the film came out. God, she seems like a nice person. Which is, I, I, she had a big show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Fincher talks about it on the commentary and just like how astonished he was that she did that. That is mind-boggling that someone did that. And uh, imagine doing that like in a huge movie that's about to come out. <laughs> someone, like it was the biggest film of, on its week of release and someone just spoils it before it's even out. Yeah. And I would like... It- <laughs> I wouldn't say that knowing the twist ruins the film or anything, but I mean, it's a part of it, isn't it? Like, it is Oh, a yeah, it's massive. Part, yeah. It's like that, you know, that does change up the last sort of like 20 minutes of the film or whatever. The sixth rule of Fight Club is broken during the film. Do you know what the rule is? And do you know by who? Is it about wearing shirt? It is, yes. It's not that one. <laughs> it is that one, yeah. Oh, it is that one. one. Oh, someone yeah. wearing clothes. <laughs> yep. Meatloaf. Right. Oh, Meatloaf fights because he has, uh, you know, I'm air quoting this, bitch tits, as he calls it in the film, because he was wearing a fat suit underneath, because he's, because they, he'd met, uh, was it, um, a testicular cancer uh, support group. So for some reason, his lack now of testosterone had made him grow breasts. And so in order to hide the fat suit, he kept the shirt on during his fights. <laughs> there you go. So Dee's kind of done the spoiler it's kind of important, especially Sorry, when we're moving to talking about the song. Uh, so yeah, Tyler Durden is the same as Edward Norton's nameless narrative character. He's not really given a name. They're two parts of the same person, shock. My wife got this within 30 minutes of me asking her to watch it. <laughs> I was quite surprised. <laughs> Are they the same person? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is really obvious when you watch it back. Yeah, and I think but I think that's the thing. I think she knew there was a twist and you're looking yeah. for it. And I think it's different if you don't know there's a twist. Yeah. True. But yeah, the film climaxes to a point where Edward Norton's character puts a gun to his head, attempts to blow the Brad Pitt part of himself away, leaving one whole person, albeit quickly losing blood. Alongside Helena Bonham Carter's character, Marla, who's the love interest, they watch from a skyscraper as buildings around them begin to explode. Tyler Durden's Project Mayhem, which is this sort of anarchistic, anti-society um, terrorist group basically destroys everything around them as we begin to hear the pixies where is my mind begin to play out in unison as the film ends so thoughts on this song with or without the scene however you want to do it in so in a lot of ways i think it's difficult to separate from the film because i, I feel like and this might be incorrect, but I, I think the fame of this song is from this film. I, I can't think that many people knew, because they were quite an underground band. I th- I mean, incredibly, and this, incredibly. And this song, but unbelievably, really, is, is from the late 80s. It doesn't sound like it at all, does it? But the song, no, I think, no. is from the 80s. That scene is very powerful. And I was looking, reading the lyrics of the song and, and listening to it. And it, there <laughs> yeah. is no point to it. There is literally no, no point no. to the song. And I was like looking for like deeper meaning. I'm sure people have as well. I mean, I don't know if you're going to be touching on this, but I'll just go into it. I've read a few yeah, interviews with the singer who's uh, called Black Francis, I think his name is. <laughs> yep. Which is an interesting name itself. <laughs> yeah. And he even just like said, yeah, there is literally no point to it. It was just about there was a fish chasing me around the Caribbean Sea or something. <laughs> yep. And that is literally all. There's, there's, no, there's no point to it. But that kind of really fits with the kind of sort of weird, flat, almost flat ending of the film is, I don't know, like I say, flat, I mean, there's buildings exploding everywhere, but kind of 
you're left a bit feeling a bit hollow at the end of the film in some ways. I mean, there's a little bit of hope, but there's a little bit of like, mm, where really are we in this world kind of thing. And the, the the sheer randomness and pointlessness of the song just really fits with that. And it's just like, well, are we any better off at the end of this film than we were at the beginning kind of? <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I think it tonally just fits perfectly. And obviously it's a cool song. <laughs> I mean, I think obviously it's it's become a bit of a hipster staple in the same way that the film has, but probably because the two things are connected. But Very much so. Yeah. I do, I do like the song. Same. Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of this song. But only ever really in passing until I finally watched Fight Club. I had basically had no idea of its connection to Fight Club. And it was not a song that I ever had on like an MP3 player or an iPod playlist, anything like that. Kind of song to me where you hear it on the radio whilst you're driving and think, I'll add this to my Spotify playlist later. <laughs> but then you forget to come back to it. <laughs> Yeah. But there is something I do have to admit about this song. Hmm. Until Ben, in our podcast group, said, let's do the Pixies song from Fight Club, I thought this was a Smashing Pumpkins song. Oh, really? That's really interesting because the Smashing Pumpkins often cite the Pixies as one of their main influences. I'm not surprised. I, I sort of looked into it to see, is it just me? Because it can't just be me thinking this sounds exactly like a Smashing Pumpkins song. <laughs> so I typed it in. Like, if you put in Where Is My Mind and then press S, it automatically goes, Smashing Pumpkins? <laughs> really? <laughs> So clearly other people are on the same wavelength as me about this being uh, a song by the Smashing Pumpkins. But there is one thing Alex said that I want to disagree with. When I hear this song, I do not think of Fight Club. Yeah. I think of All Elite Wrestling. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Orange Cassidy's entrance music is this song, and that's what I associate I with this song. You were going to make a wrestling reference. I saw it on... I saw it on... Uh, well, forget where now. I saw it on like a trivia... And I was like, oh, someone's going to mention this. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> the, the thing is, though, I want to say, like, I don't necessarily think that this song reminds people of the film. I think the song is famous because of the film. And I think that that guy, the wrestling guy, wouldn't have it as his theme song if it wasn't in this film. That's kind of very possible. Yeah. But no, I see, I take your point. Like, because a lot of people probably don't don't know that the song is from the film, but it's been used in so many things, referencing the fact that it was in this film, that it's kind of almost taken on its a world of its own by itself again. Yeah, it yeah. So it was like. You know, it was a song first, then it was in the film, then it had that whole film bit, and now it's kind of a song again, separate. But I think it, yeah, its fame and popularity came from this film, I should think. I think you're probably right, yeah. And it is most likely that Orange Cassidy uses the song as a reference to the film. But because I see that more often, that's yeah. why yeah, I associate it with. Yeah, I think Fight Club was the first reference use of this film. And it has been used a lot since, like in Mr. Robot, um, it's used, or like a sort of a simplified piano version. But for the same reasons, I think it is that it ends on like a rhetorical. I mean, the name Where Is My Mind, I think helps because there's the dissociative identity element of the film of knowing, yeah, what happens now? The basically world is exploding around us. It is that kind of what next. And I think you're left with a lot of what's. And I guess the name of the song being a question, I think also helps that. And like Alex said, the lead singer, I think it was apparently he went scuba diving while he was at university and the song's about that. <laughs> and that's literally it. And the Pixies, I think, are quite famous. They are sort of your favourite band's favourite band. Yeah. They're kind of that, you know, that the ve- like yeah, the Velvet the Underground. Yeah. Like, you know, no, they're not, they never were huge themselves, but they're instrumental in how they influenced a lot of music following. I, there's kind of weird comments saying like they, they almost sound like influences that came before. So like they almost feel like they're at some point they're earlier than what everything else was coming out at the time while also feeling a lot more modern because they enmeshed so many different styles. They're famous for, and I think this song encapsulates the best. They're famous for this like quiet, loud, quiet style. Like they just be, like the opening drum beat as like the explosions hit, and it's so loud. 
then it goes really quiet, the song, and it kind of goes in like a weird flow. It never really seems to stick to a certain style. They're often cited as being quite poppy, surfer rock, grunge, heavy metal. You listen to some of their earlier stuff, they're all over the place. And the inspirations for the song, they'll have a song about incest, and then they'll have a song about just going to the shops, and then they'll have a song about um, a girl with brain damage, and then they'll have a song, and it's just like just random inspirations. And I think that also helps it fit in with this film because it's just so all over the place. Yeah. And it it's kind of like it's the film doesn't allow you at this point to gather your thoughts like it should at the end of a film. People want catharsis. Yeah. People want at the end of a book to be like, uh, I think Chuck uh, Polinick said this himself. People want at the end of a book to be like, okay, the detectives caught the killer. I've got, you know, I know everything's happened and close it and I feel released. Whereas at the end of Fight Club, you don't have any of that really. It feels like there should be something coming afterwards. Uh, and I'm glad there was never a Fight Club 2. <laughs> there was nothing, anything else, you know, finding out more adventures of Tyler Durden. But I really like how the song is used. But it was not famous before this. Uh, the Pixies did better over here than they did in the States, but they're not very famous over than, like I say, Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Radiohead, Arcade Fire. They're these bands' favourite band. Yeah. And you can definitely hear that in all of those oh, bands, yeah. that's the thing. Yeah. Kurt Cobain was like, Smells Like Teen Spirit was his attempt at making a Pixies song. He said he should have been in a Pixies tribute band, and he's gone on, he's said loads of times how they were his band, which is quite interesting, really, because I don't necessarily hear the comparison or hear the similarities, but you'll just hear like a particular song by the Pixies, and like, oh yeah, that sounds really grungy. And yet the next one will be just really light and poppy. They clearly just, you know, were just doing what they felt like they wanted to do at the time and didn't really stick to any one thing. I guess Smells Like Teen Spirit has that sort of stop-start Yeah, we, Yeah, that's the thing he, he said was the inspiration, the quiet, loud, quiet sort of thing. Yeah. Which I guess, yeah, is kind of sticks out. Even in the grunge, it sticks out quite a lot. You know, it's that slow, then really heavy sort of choruses sometimes, then really slow again. Do you know who David Fincher wanted first before the Pixies? Mm-hmm. Aerosmith. <laughs> <laughs> Loving and they love it. Is it sort of like a similar band? Is it? Yes, very. In fact, I think I just said them. Arcade Fire. No, Radiohead. Oh, you want to tell me? Yeah, off? well, Radiohead is is definitely inspired by this, as you can hear it in in all of the songs. I think. Yes, definitely. Uh, I think Tom York said he just finished making OK Computer and he was too stressed out, <laughs> so I didn't want to do anything. So yeah, he got the song. It was released in '88, so it's all eleven years until it came out. Yeah, and this song reached. The highest it got to in the UK charts was 199 in 2014 of all times as well. So not even, not in 88, not in 99, in 2014. And that might have been Mr. Robot. I don't know. But yeah, how weird is that? It's weird that the charts go up that high, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe that's the Pixies just releasing that. Nobody's going to check that. (laughs) No, no one is going to check that. And yeah, 199 does sound quite cool. I feel like if it says 200, that's just ridiculous. But yeah, the rest of the movie doesn't have like a spoken word songs. It's produced by the Dust Brothers. Do you, have you heard of them? <laughs> no, but I like the name. Yeah, they like producers on like with like Beastie Boys albums. Um, Beck, they they do like it's very sort of scratchy electronic yeah. computerized sounds. Um, yeah. You listen back, you can hear it like through and through because he wanted something to sound sort of like off kilter, uh, and it really does work. And I forget what Edward Norton says to her. You've, something you've caught me at a weird point in my life or something. Yes, he does say something like and that. And then they kind of hold they kind of hold hands and like, yeah, I think it's just it's it's really perfect. Okay. Top five time. 
as we've said, fairly famous twists, but I want to know what are, according to the internet, the greatest movie twists of all time. Yikes. Spoiler alerts. Yeah. <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alerts. Spoiler alerts in this, but hopefully for the greatest twists, you should know them. Right? Do you want to just dive straight in? Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm guessing that the Sixth Sense will be number one, right? I mean, that was yes, like... Yes, Sixth the... Sense is number one. Yes. Well, I'm guessing that Darth Vader being Luke's father is probably there on that list no, too. Yeah, number two. That was it. Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, good call up. Give you a clue. Fight Club is not in the top ten. Oh, right. Top five. <laughs> it was sixth. Um, well, I've come, I've aggregated various lists. I mean, one one twist that I really like, but I'm not sure if in the top five is the is the one in Shutter Island. Although possibly it's predictable. Fifth is it? Oh, there you go. Yeah, fifth. The first Saw film. No, but there was a lot saying Saw films. But yeah, it's a good show. Good show though. Gone Girl. Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes. Oh, the good. I mean, Gone Girl is probably a bit too of a modern. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good twist though. You're doing well. You're actually doing very, very well. One more. So just one more. So where was was Planet of the Apes third? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wizard of Oz. This is quite a hard one. No, <laughs> it's a fairly, that. fairly, it's a fairly modern film, and I don't think it's a famous film, but it has a very good twist. Oh, uh, the fog or the mist or something like that. No, but that that's still gone. <laughs> you're destroying me inside by even mentioning that film. Oh god. Yeah, but no. Oh god. Came out in two thousand one. Oh, uh, Beautiful it's Mind. Because no. that was a that twist. twist yeah, it's it a twist. Yeah, I suppose it is. Yeah. <laughs> what did twist? Um, oh, is it another? Is it another one of his? <laughs> no, it's not the village. It's a horror film. <laughs> Beautiful Mind isn't um, Mem Night Shyamalan. No, no, but Sixth Sense, obviously. <laughs> it's a horror film. Oh, um, oh, the Cabin in the Woods. Is that what it's no. called? Is that a twist? Is that the one I'm thinking of? Where it turns out it's like a TV show. Yeah, that is Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, and it's not that. It's spoiler. It's 2001 though. Yeah, 2001. It's all Cabin in the Woods. It's much later than that. Horror film. Final Destination. Stars Nicole Kidman. Oh, The Others. Yes, The Others. Have you seen The Others, D? I haven't, no. Well, I'll spoil it for you. Go on. They're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> what a twist. Well. <laughs> it's a very good film, but they're all dead. They're all dead. Um, sorry, guys, if you listen to this. <laughs> um, but you don't know who they all are. Oh. <laughs> Every person in the film is dead. <laughs> we did really well. We there. did do better than I thought. I'm happy with how it's gone. So now it's time to figure out what is better, the movie or the song. So this week's Fight Club versus Where Is My Mind by the Pixies or by the Smashing Pumpkins, if you feel like that, or maybe even Radiohead. <laughs> uh, Alex, do you want to go first this week? Yeah, it's a it's a hard one, I think, this week because I'm not. I like both, but I don't love either. <laughs> so there's not like a really yes. obvious choice for me. I'm in the same boat, to be honest. Yeah, I think... Um, I was hoping you'd just make my mind up for me right now. <laughs> I think I am actually going to... I, we are it's, we are a film podcast. I think I'm going to say film. <laughs> we are a film music <laughs> podcast. I think I'm actually going to go for film because I think it's kind of one of those cultural... It's it's kind of something that most people have seen and talk about. And I, and I kind of like that about it. I know, like I was saying in the beginning, like some people maybe interpret it differently than possibly I would or people hold it up as like this moniker of like great films that are really deep and talk about neo-truths and that, that no, nothing has ever spoken about before. But I do think it is a really good film still. Like, I don't want to take that away from it. And the song really does a great job of highlighting a lot of the malaise or the, the middling of the film at the end. And But I think that's because of what the film had already helped build. And I think the song just kind of emphasises it, which is, which is what a great song and a great film does uh, or a good song in a good film in this case um but i think yeah i think i'll go film i know i've talked around in a loop there but i'll go film 
What about you, Ben? Yeah, I'd probably go film, but like I really like a song that ends a film. It's not a post credit song, but it kind of goes into the credits. I, I you know, I think that's it's very cool if it's done that way because it's a it's then a part of the film. It's not cheap when you just throw it in at the credits because that does it just doesn't count. Don't say that. Half episodes are about songs. <laughs> no, they're not. They're not. No, they're not. But it does rule us out quite a lot. I mean, if we if we treated this as a room one hundred and one, you get rid of the this song. Do you still have all those amazing bands? Who knows? And the Pixies have got other songs. Yeah, Fight Club. <laughs> Decision's been made for me there. Thank you. Um, I think I probably echo that I would stick with the film. Obviously, I like the song because of things outside of the film. I guess. But yeah, you, I think you got to go for the film and it is still good even knowing the twists and main plot points it's, it still stands up as a film that you can enjoy so yeah, i think you've got to go for that well that brings an end to another episode of that song from that movie let us know on twitter which one you think's better the movie or the song the poll will be up well if you listen to this it's either already up or it finished like three or four weeks ago so ben what is our twitter handle at tsftm pod nice so you can help the podcast in many ways. Sharing this on a random subreddit is one of those ways. Alex, what random subreddit should they use this week? I mean, it's his greatest ever acting performance, so me love. <laughs> <laughs> it's also Jared Lowe's best ever acting performance. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Dallas Buyers Club. Panic Room. Suicide Squad. Mr. Nobody. God, what a f- oh, shit, I forgot about that film. It's a great film. Wow, I need to go watch that film. Requiem for a Dream is also good. You can also help the podcast by joining our Patreon leaving us reviews or buying our merch. All the links are in our social media and in the show notes. So all's left now is to do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. If I had a tumour, I'd name it Ben. (laughs) (laughs) And goodbye from Ben. I think panic... uh, I've got pain in my chest. That was very badly timed. (laughs) (laughs) Ben's having a heart attack live on the podcast. (laughs) I'm okay now. You can sign out with that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Tentative bye. That pain was fragrantly trapped. <laughs>